to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating us citizens as less than human. God damn America. As long as she tries to act like she is God and she is supreme. Welcome to PDA. Um, this is Jake Flores. This week, I have a very special episode, like a concept episode, or like a bottle episode. Um, <laughs> this week, I have, uh, I'm going to interview a friend of mine who, uh, I've loosely pieced together parts of his story from having conversations with him, and, uh, I, I've always wanted to just sit down and ask him to tell me the whole story. Uh, basically, I, uh, this guy's a indigenous uh, activist, um, Standing Rock, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and he's just got quite a tale. So I'm not going to do any weekly stuff. Uh, I recorded this before I went out of town. So, you know, I don't really even know what's happening in the future while this is happening um you know wh what trump did uh <laughs> mccain died and then came back or some shit zombie mccain he's like game of thrones style they uh pumped the mountain juice into him he's wearing a golden suit of armor now and shit and he's even more mavericky i don't know <laughs> who knows um so i guess yeah i don't really have anything up top Let's just get straight into the tale of Mike Gams, the legend, the odyssey. <laughs> um, Mike Gams, how are you, buddy? Uh, I am all right. I am uh, happy to be back on Pot Damn America. Uh, yeah. This is my second appearance on the show, and I will say that the first time we recorded in your bedroom, and this time we're recording in your living room, and it's it's quite the improvement. Yeah, we came a long <laughs> way. <laughs> uh, there's uh, it's 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 a. Um, yeah, that's that's that that was that whole statement right there. <laughs> I'm very articulate, as you could tell. Um, okay, so the reason I wanted to have you kind of come on the show is because uh, you've got this whole story that I feel like I've heard pieces of. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of things I could uh, I could tell you, um, but I will. Uh, I just want to clarify. You said I was an indigenous activist. I'm not indigenous. I'm just a white boy, just like I, anyone else. But uh, <laughs> I've been um, involved with a lot of the indigenous resistance and movements involving uh native people and water protectors and standing rock and all that sort of stuff so i uh i happen to know a lot about what exactly went on and the interesting thing about the whole like standing rock situation is that it wasn't really reported that well in the mainstream media or the news at all and what was reported was like still not the truth. It was still like what was being presented is still like the most neoliberal bullshit version of what actually was going on like below the surface. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. I like, think this is really interesting because like no one I don't know a lot of people that really actually know the ins and outs of this. No, and, and even like a lot of the people that were there and are involved don't know all the ins ins and outs of it. And even I don't know everything. But, um, like, the more things that I learned, the more, like, really, really fucked up it is, like, everything that's gone on. 
Um, so I'm trying to figure out where uh, to like begin with this uh, with this sort of with unpacking this whole <laughs> situation. Um, but like, I guess I'll ask you, like, what do you know about like the like Standing Rock situation? Like, just sort of give me like a brief overview, and then I could sort of go from there. Yeah. So. Yeah, okay, we'll do this. This is kind of the premise of the show sometimes. I'm an idiot. You explain to me something I, I'm kind of ignorant on. Uh, I honestly, not much. I'm like probably like a lot of people in that uh, when Standing Rock started to happen and all these like viral campaigns started popping up on Facebook, you know, I read the, the stories and I was outraged and kind of went, holy shit, can you believe this? And then kept like tabs on it you know since then but um i don't know whether like i don't know what to believe i remember like one thing that happened on facebook was uh everyone was checking in at standing rock and there was this you get this message that said you know they're using uh they're tracking people who are there but if you check in it like clouds the the (laughs) yeah i remember that i remember that that was before i got there but i remember that whole like campaign going on where people were like checking in at the ochechi shakoan camp in standing rock like so they don't know who's here and like honestly i don't know who came up with that idea but it's sort of like uh, kind of like the most like white neoliberal thing that you could possibly do, where <laughs> it's a it was tech like solution. Like I checked in there, so therefore like <laughs> I, it absolved me of some like white guilt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like uh, the other thing that people did that absolved them of some sort of white guilt about what was going on there was uh, donate money, and that's where the re- like some of the real issues come in that I'm gonna get into with you is that yeah. like. There was a lot of fuckery going on when it comes to GoFundMe accounts and like fundraising and who it actually went to and where it went and what it actually did and who walked away with millions of dollars, even though they weren't really on the same side as the people that they pretended to be on. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I guess I'll, I'll just start by talking about like my experiences, how I ended up going there is... Um, I don't think we've actually said this yet, but I am a stand-up comic. That's like what I do right. before all of this. Um, and so I was touring. Like I, the way that I tour is I haven't had an apartment anywhere in the country in over three years. Yeah. So I just sort of couch crash or like occasionally I'll have a spot for a couple months. The dream. But the dream. Yeah, right. The dream. <laughs> Living in the uh, wind. I've like slept in bus stations and <laughs> slept in parks and on people's couches and like. You ever slept in a graveyard? Um, I have not slept in a graveyard. I've I have done not. that. You have. Yeah. Okay. Well, you got me there. You know who, who books that? <laughs> who uh, books that? God. Yeah. <laughs> the devil. And so what happened is in like 2016, I was going back on the road. Where I do this a lot. Where I'll go on the road for like three to six months at a time, and I don't really know what I'm doing further than six weeks in advance, and I'm just sort of like booking it as I go and sort of taking mega buses and greyhound buses or hitchhiking and just hopping around from city to city and um i remember the day that i decided to go to like standing rock like very specifically because it was in uh it was october 2016 right which was like right in the heart of when all that was going on the camp started in april 2016 by august that was when they were like using attack dogs to attack people and like a reporter had been shot while she was with a rubber bullet while she was like reporting on what was going on at standing rock right like and so that was when all that stuff like you were talking about where people were checking in at standing rock and 
I was just like you. I didn't really know what the hell was going on there. I knew that something was going on there. Um, but I found myself uh, in New Orleans, right? And um, uh, the World Series was, was going on. And the Chicago <laughs> – yeah, this is funny. The Chicago <laughs> Cubs had just won the World Series. And I'm not, like, a huge baseball fan or, like, particularly a Chicago Cubs fan. But I was, like, really desperately trying to get to Chicago to go to that parade. Because yeah. I was, like uh, – I just like to be where there's things that are happening. And I was, like – I was about to, like – cancel some shows and like reroute my whole tour schedule to go to a fucking baseball parade in Chicago and then I like took a moment and thought about it and I was like there's got to be something better that I could be doing with my like life than like just trying to hop around to a party like because a baseball team won uh and that's when I was like um I should go to Standing Rock like everybody I know is like talking about it or like say that they want to go but I'm just like floating around like a bag in the fucking wind. I don't really have an excuse to not go. Sure. Where people have jobs and they have lives. Like I don't have a job. I don't have a life. Okay, like, I'm following. So your transient yeah. nature sort of led you yeah. to uh, it, uh, this thing that then changed. It appears to me to have changed your life. Fuck yeah! It completely <laughs> changed it in like a million different ways. And like when I first got there, I didn't really know what was going on. I I got there. Um, so it's actually an interesting story how I ended up getting there. Um, I went the last place that I was before I went there. I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, and then I was taking a bus from Cincinnati to um, Milwaukee or not Milwaukee, uh, Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, because that's like almost to um, Standing Rock. And at this point, I hadn't really told anybody I was going there. I still wasn't even sure that I was going there. And so I found a way to sort of book some shows that got me up to that part of the country and then just topped over there. Like I booked some shows in Minneapolis and then Fargo, North Dakota. And so while I was on a bus from Cincinnati, Ohio to Minneapolis, I was watching a live stream on my phone. It was November 20th, which is like maybe like one of the most important days and what happened in, in Standing Rock. That was the night when they took out the water cannons in negative 15 degree weather and just started uh, spraying women and children with like water cannons. Yeah. And uh, um, there's some irony to using water cannons yeah. in a pipeline protest. Yeah, right? because like we were like they're water protectors. They're there to protect the water and they weaponize the water <laughs> against so you. So demented. Yeah. Yeah, it's very like. Yeah, insulting. it's real demented and. Um, so I was sitting on a bus, like I was kind of terrified to go up there. I didn't really know what was going on. Is it I'd a only cop seen... with like that super soaker with the backpack on it that came out, you know? Mid-90s. I mean, kind of, but it was more like you know militarized police force, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, in riot gear and tanks, uh-huh, like yeah, yeah. Um, but at that point, I was still like pretty like scared about what was going on there. It was just like everybody else. I didn't really know what was going on. I just seen these like horrifying pictures and just terrible things and I was like ready to just hop off that bus like I was like what the fuck am I doing like I have I don't know anyone there Uh I don't know a damn person there I'm by myself I don't even know exactly how I'm gonna get all the way there um and so I ended up getting to Minneapolis I did a show in Minneapolis then I took a bus to uh oh no I stayed in Minneapolis and I found I ran into a friend in Minneapolis that was a comic, and his girlfriend happened to live in um, Mandan, North Dakota, which is, like, the closest town. Like, Mandan and Bismarck, North Dakota, are like, 
about half an hour from the reservation. That's like the closest town or city to the Standing Rock Reservation. And they happened to be going there for Thanksgiving to go visit her parents. So I hitched a ride with them, but it was at one in the morning. So I just got dropped off at a gas station in Bismarck, North Dakota at two in the morning and had to hitchhike the rest of the way to the camp. And this was like the night before Thanksgiving Day. Um, <laughs> and it was also three days after there had just been the most violent attack on um, the, the Standing Rock people that there had been in the entire like duration of the whole thing, right? So were you just thinking, like, what, what the hell am I doing? I, have, I, I, was, I was terrified. And they also said, like, don't tell people. Like, if you're trying to get a ride down there, don't tell people that you're going to the camp because um, – like there's so much racism within the town of Bismarck, North Dakota, and in North Dakota in general, there's a huge divide racially there. And there has been for a really long time, like even before this pipeline protest um, happened, like that pipeline was originally supposed to go through the town of Bismarck and the, um, the citizens of Bismarck got to vote and they voted it down. So they rerouted it through the reservation and there was no vote. <laughs> Like, so the white people in Bismarck got to say, no, we don't want this. And then it just got sent oh, into Standing wow. Rock. Yeah. And it's also where um, North Dakota State University is. And um, they just recently got the mascot changed from being the Fighting Sioux to, I don't know what it is now, like some sort of bird or something. Yeah, but yeah. that was like a really contentious issue, too, because like um, they were like using the name the Fighting Sioux, but it was like a bunch of white. Yeah. yeah yeah and north and south dakota is really really fucked up when it comes to racism you know like that's like one of the hotbeds for the kkk and like you know it's it's particularly when it comes to native issues like that's where some of the major reservations are you know is, is north dakota and south dakota um but anyways um so i'm sitting at this gas station like trying to get a ride down to the camp but without telling anybody that i'm trying to get a ride to the camp Right. So I uh, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to go to the casino. Right. Like because uh -huh. there's a casino that's on the reservation land. And that was sort of like a place that you could go. And eventually I meet this like I've done shows at casinos. before. Yeah. 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 They're so not great. Yeah. Four in the afternoon next to a buffet. Yeah. Right. Like casinos in terms of comedy are like a good place for like those like middle America chuckle hut headliner guys, you know, yeah. like <laughs> just like, yeah. But um, I, I meet this guy who's like, he's like, where are you from? Like, I could tell that he knew what was going on and he was like supportive of like the, the Standing Rock movement. And I was like trying to get him to give me a ride. And he's like, where are you from? And I was like, uh, California, Los Angeles. And he's like, you know, just with everything that's going on, I can't risk like bringing anybody new there that I don't know. I'm sorry. Right. And he just pulls away. Then I'm sitting there for like 10 minutes and he pulls back in the parking lot and he says, get in the car now. And so what? I just got in the fucking car, <laughs> right? And uh, it turns out that he was, like, uh, a deadhead, like, you know, uh, sort of hippie guy. And he also used to do stand-up comedy in North Dakota, oh, which is just, like – and he'd only been to the camp one other time. And that was on that day, November 20th. He was doing shuttle runs to get medics in and out of the camp. Yeah. Like, and that was because it was, like, the most – you know, like I said, the most violent thing that happened. So then he gives me a ride to the camp. And I get dropped off. By now, it's like 3 in the morning. 
and he just drops me off there. I've never been there. It's pitch black at night. I don't know anybody. I don't know anything that's going on. And I just get, like, dropped off in the middle of the oh, camp. You're, you're like Pete Holmes crashing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except for I showed up on uh, Thanksgiving Eve, right? And uh-huh. then it starts snowing. The first snowfall that happened at, at Standing Rock was that night right when I got there. But I eventually found some sort of, like, community space uh, where, like, I just curled up in a ball and slept for, like, two hours till I started hearing, like, uh, someone on a megaphone and, like, some drumming in the morning. It was, like, you know, morning prayer gathering. And then, like, went from there. And while I was there, um, I mostly just kind of tried to observe and help however I could, you know. Like, I did a lot of... um, uh, most of the time I spent just trying to find cell phone service to actually upload the updates that I had from the camp right? and, and stuff like that. But also just like helping people. They have a lot of kitchens because there, there was, um, you know, when I was there, it was Thanksgiving week. So there was 10,000 people there. And this is a community that was completely built in an open field. Like everything was built from the ground up and everything was sustainable. So like they had kitchens to feed people and they had donations coming in by the truckloads. Cause that's another thing that people did to like relieve white guilt is they would just show up with a bunch of shit and just drop it off or have shit sent there. Yeah. And a lot of it was like, uh, we had like stacks and stacks of winter coats and canned beans and stuff that wasn't even like just being used. They just needed someone to sort it. So it was like sorting, you know, intaking donations and shit like that. Um, and I was there for about a week. Uh, and then I, I only had planned to be there for like a week. And I knew that um, after being there for a week, I canceled everything else I had on my schedule. I went and did one more show in Omaha, Nebraska, and then came back again for another like three weeks. Um, and the second time I came back, it was um, I got stuck in. Uh, this was around December 6th, which is actually really kind of important. I got stuck in Fargo, North Dakota on December 3rd. And uh, right around this time was, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a big push where 10,000 United States veterans were coming to Standing Rock to stand with like the the movement, right? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And um, that was like putting a lot of pressure on everything that was going on, right? So all these veterans show up, Tulsi Gubbard shows up and... Uh, then it also happens to be this giant blizzard that shuts down all the highways in, in North Dakota, right? And so I was stuck in Fargo for three days waiting to get there. In the meantime, on December 4th of uh, 2016, that's the first time that Barack Obama did or said anything. Um, him and the oh. tribal chairman, uh, David Archambault, came out and said that um, the easement to keep building the pipeline had been denied, Right. And everyone started celebrating like it was a victory. Like right, we all won. Right? right. Everyone go home. I remember all these false. Yeah. Sort of right. And so I finally got back to the camp two days after that announcement. And it was chaos because there was people telling everyone to leave like, oh, yeah, it's over. We won. Everyone go home. But then also like the Dakota Access Pipeline people, they weren't leaving. The drills were still there. Can I like real quick, just uh, in the middle of the story. Can you give yeah. just a brief explanation of even what the Dakota Access Pipeline okay. is yeah, all yeah. about? Okay, yeah, yeah. I should have I started there. Um, so basically, um, they the Dakota Access Pipeline is an oil pipeline, obviously, that transfers oil. And it's built by this company, Energy Transfer Partners. And um, they have pipelines all over the country. And... Um, they basically were uh they they not just were but they did because they ended up being successful trying to build it straight through um land that was protected by treaties 
uh, like native treaties with the U.S. government that was sacred sites like burial grounds and shit like that. And they were the plan was to come in uh, with bulldozers, bulldozers. We're gonna get poltergeists out. Yeah. Of and like plow through their sacred burial grounds, and like this is a people that's already been forcibly relocated and and genocided against for five hundred and twenty five plus years. Yeah. And so we we put them on these reservations and we create this system, and then even that isn't enough. Like once you put them on these reservations, then they're like, okay, well now we're gonna build a fucking oil pipeline right through your land. This little bit of your land that we're allowing you to be on, we're gonna take a little bit more of it, and. Um, the whole reason that the camp started is a bunch of teenage kids were like, enough is enough. Like, we've got nothing else to fucking lose. And they just set up a bunch of teepees and said, no, we're going to stay here and we're not going to move. Yeah. Like, this is our land. We don't want this pipeline here. Get the hell out of here. Right. And then it just grew from there. I see. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And the more that like. like an occupy sort of. Yeah. Thing. Sort of occupy. That's kind of what was going on. Um, but the thing is, is that. um when you talk about the oil industry, you have to understand that not only is this a billion dollar organization, like billion dollar industry, it's also very much tied to the United States government. They have a very high interest in, you know, fossil fuels. So um, on one side, you had like it started with this group of teenagers. And then um, over the course of the next year, uh, close to 100,000 different people came through up to 10,000 people at a time. Um, we're on one side, but the other side was this billion-dollar oil company colluding with the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, the Department of Justice, the CIA, state and local law enforcement, and private mercenary groups. So Whoa. this is yeah, these are people <laughs> with billions and billions of dollars, and people that were trained to be counter-terrorist organizations in Afghanistan. Oh, that makes so much sense. You know why? Because uh, have, you, have you ever read the Shock Doctrine or like Naomi Klein's mm -hmm. shit? Um, uh, all the Blackwater guys after yeah. Iraq came back, and then like suddenly they were in charge of rebuilding uh, New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. Right. Because they became like contractors, even though they were like these so, trained military Metal Gear Solid people. They're like, now we're in charge of building a house, and of course, you know, right. bureaucratic nightmare, and they didn't have any interest in actually. You know, they're private mercs. Yeah, so, it's so I got a lot money. of things I could tell you about that. I should have got into this sort of right away. Instead, I just sort of spent way too long just telling you about my personal no, 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 journey, I, which I, isn't I, important, but I just wanted to like... But it's an interesting story. I enjoyed yeah, the it's uh, just, colorful... Uh, that's just like how I got there. But <laughs> so while we're getting to the, the meat of it, so I'm not just making this up. There was uh, in the last... After the camps ended, there was leaked government documents um, that came out in The Intercept. Do you know that publication? Yes, of course. Yeah, so the Intercept released the uh, released these government documents that showed um, that there was emails being exchanged from all of those departments that I named, yeah. um, as well as um, this group called Tiger Swan, and Tiger Swan Tiger was Swan. Tiger Swan. Yeah, Tiger Swan <laughs> is one of the most fucked up things on the planet. So Tiger Swan is this. Um, they were originally created as a um, in the uh, in the in Afghanistan. They were part of the United States military. They were a military outfit that then after that became private contractors. Were they called Tiger Swan? Tiger Swan is their name. In, while they were in the U.S. military? Yeah, yeah. That was like that was like the code name for it. And it's like, um, the uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but the best way to describe it is if anyone's ever watched that show, The Punisher, yeah. there's like this private security group called Anvil that was like all based on uh, former military, like, high-end, like, you know, uh, covert ops, like, the most highly trained, like, 
U.S. military special I'm forces, then became like, a private contractor, like, and that's exactly uh, what Tiger Swan was. The A right? team, or like Brock Samson from the Venture Brothers, right. sort of shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that's that's who it was. Is their private military contractors, right? But then they were working with um, the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, the CIA, um, North Dakota law enforcement, Morton County, which is the county that um, like the reservation is in. Yeah, in North Dakota. Um, we're all working together and in these emails um, that they were exchanging they said that we were um, everyone that was there was to be considered a religious extremist on the level of a radical jihadist wow yeah yeah so that's like what they said about everyone calm down tiger swan right (laughs) and we're also talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars i get it now they're a bunch of military dorks yeah uh, but not even that so you know so the people that were like the water protectors that's the word that they use um they uh they put out a call for everyone from around the country everyone around the world to come support them right well so did the dakota access pipeline so they were um, basically cops and military and stuff and uh, we're coming from all around the country to come to come there so it's like are you sick of uh, are you bored of attacking black and brown people in your in your state like come to North Dakota and you can attack a different kind of brown person we'll give you rubber bullet guns and like th- they literally had tanks yeah and like no, I get it. they were using chemical warfare uh, everything you could think of they had a crop duster plane that would go over us every single day at 6 p.m. and it would do Laps back and forth. The guy would lean out his ass out the window and fart. Who knows what <laughs> they were doing? Dusting, you know? They had drones following you around everywhere around the camp. Like it's this, like one of the scariest. Mo- it, it was a war zone. Yeah, it yeah, was a yeah. war zone. Except for instead of live ammunition, they had rubber bullets and bean bags and everything else. Everything up to lethal force that they could have, they had. Sure. And um, in those leaked documents in the intercept, it even says uh, that. Um, um, like the best way to do this would just be to kill everybody. But if they, ki- or no, this is what they said. If we just killed everybody, this pipeline would surely be stopped. Wow. Yeah. Like they knew that they couldn't kill us because the outrage would be so much yeah. that it, it, it would stop what they were trying to do. So they did everything, but everything, but, um, and, um, this is where it really, really, really gets fucked up is, um, it wasn't just uh, so a lot of the people that were the leaders of the movement, like in the media and on paper and that were supposedly the leaders, like uh, native people that were leading the fight were actually working with the United States government and the oil company from the very fucking beginning. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Uh, so what I'm saying is that many of the leaders of the movement, like the, of the water protectors, the tribal leaders, um, and like the native indigenous leaders that were out front were actually working with the United States government from the very fucking beginning. Right. This so is what I, this is. This is the real meat of what I want to get into yeah, here. This is kind of what so, you said that blew my mind the first time. I yeah. Talk OK. About this. So this is this is what we'll talk about. So um, during the Standing Rock uh, water protector movement, the Standing Rock tribal chairman was a guy by the name of David R. Shamble. Right. Uh, that's an elected position, just like, you know, you vote for your mayor or whatever. And people have this assumption that because someone is the tribal chairman, that they represent the people. But the thing is, is that's a branch of the United States government. Like we're they're on a they may be on a reservation, but that government that's put in place there isn't a sovereign government. There, the, there's this myth 
that there is sovereignty on native lands, but it's not real okay, because they're still you. policed by federal agents, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which are federal police officers, and their leaders are still a part of the United States government system. Right. It'd be so, weird to believe that there's this sovereign little bubble that then. But has people no do in- like tend to think that. So this guy, David R. Shamble, he was like the leader of the Standing Rock movement, like, quote unquote, he was the tribal chairman, right, of the Standing Rock Reservation. Um, but he wasn't and he isn't what he pretended to be, um, because uh, what I found out is that in 2013, when he ran for tribal chairman, this was three years before the, the camp started, he said that um, the fracking and oil industry is inevitable and we need to be proactive about bringing those jobs to our community. Then flash forward to three years later, he's standing on the front lines. Right. Right. And, and it gets much worse than that. It's so I told you that um, Barack Obama only said anything on December 4th. Right. It's the day when all the veterans were there. Tulsi Gubbard was there. CNN was there. The highest point of all the media attention for the Standing Rock movement was that day, December 4th. And Obama then steps in with the tribal chairman and says, oh, yeah, the permit's been denied. Everybody go home. Everyone go home. Right. We won. We won. Right. Meanwhile, Trump had been elected three weeks ago and he used to be on the board for Energy Transfer Partners, the company building the Dakota Access Pipeline. So, like, there's no question that one of the first things he's going to do is greenlight that pipeline. And sure enough, a few days after Trump's inauguration, he greenlights the pipeline. And that's in January. But still, after... This is a really slick uh, fucking... Dude, it gets way worse. <laughs> it, gets, it gets way worse. It gets way worse. So this is where... Um, so then, even after Trump was inaugurated, Trump greenlights the pipeline. David Archambault, the tribal chairman, is still telling everyone to leave. Right? Right. And so the camp finally closed on February 22nd and 23rd is when they finally raided the camps and sent everybody home. This is a month after Trump had been already inaugurated and greenlit the pipeline. It was the Standing Rock tribal police that came in and arrested and raided and evicted the camp by order of the tribal chairman. So the chairman is the one that voted and signed off on his own tribal police under his jurisdiction to come in and kick everybody out. After Trump had already greenlit the pipeline, which proves that that whole shit with Obama on December 4th was just um, performative at best. Why would he do that? Here's why. Here's why. So this is real interesting. Is Barack Obama, uh, he never came to Standing Rock during the Standing Rock movement, but he was there in 2014. Two years before this movement ever started, he was there meeting with David Archambault, the tribal chairman. And David Archambault has a sister by the name of Jody Gillette Archambault, right? This is the tribal chairman's sister. Uh-huh. So she's really interesting because uh, she graduated from Dartmouth in 1992 and has been, uh, she received a Bush Foundation fellowship and uh, started working for the United States government, uh, part of the Bureau of Indian Affairs. The Bureau of Indian Affairs is a subdivision of the Department of Interior, right? Which is like, you know, the Department of Interior is... Uh, yeah, there. Uh, um, so right, this woman Jody Gillette Archambault, the tribal chairman's sister, uh, w- worked in the Obama administration, and Barack Obama personally created a position in his White House for her. She was the first ever White House liaison to the tribes. She was appointed this position in 2011. This is. Six, five years before the Standing Rock movement even happened. Right. So she's appointed to this position in Obama's White House in 2011. 
in 2014, uh, her brother becomes the tribal chairman in Standing Or 2013, her brother becomes the tribal chairman in Standing Rock on a pro-oil platform. In 2014, Obama comes to the Standing Rock Reservation on which looks like a tour where he's shaking hands and kissing babies, right? He says, and I quote, I love the Standing Rock Reservation and the R. Shambalt family. Okay, but do it in the voice. I can't. I'm not going to do a Brock voice. (laughs) So he says that in 2014, right? And then flash forward to two years later, um, the movement started in April of 2016. Obama says nothing. People are attacked by dogs, shot with water cannons, um, you know, tear gassed, rubber bullets, all these terrible things. And Obama still says and does nothing. And, the only, and, and this is a guy that was at that reservation of all reservations two years prior. Right. He created a position for the tribal chairman's sister in his own White House. Like, he created that position just for her. And he did nothing until December 4th, after Trump had already been elected, who was pro-oil. So he could come in and act like he was the hero, right. knowing that it wasn't going to go through. And, and, like, what did they talk about in 2014? Because, like I told you earlier, I've seen it um, on the tribal chairman's own campaign website. That quote that I said about um, we need to be proactive about bringing these jobs to our community. That was the, he ran on, the tribal chairman ran on a pro-oil platform in 2013. Then in 2014, Barack Obama was there in Standing Rock. And then two years later, this pipeline's being built through there. And it's not a stretch of the imagination to say that um, the tribal chairman was for the pipeline because many tribes around this country have sold out and and taken government buyouts to build pipelines through their land, including in the um, Mandan Hidatsa Reservation, which is about three hours north of Standing Rock in North Dakota. Um, that tribe is openly pro-oil. They, they take the money. You could come through our land like, you know, because if you keep these communities in such poverty and genocide that you dangle a little carrot yeah, in front of them, it's hard whole, not to take uh, it. We're creating jobs. It's good for the community mm-hmm. sort of thing. That happens all the time. So, you know, it happens with like, uh, that's why you see, you know, I was just talking about ICE on all these other podcasts or whatever. Like for those communities, it's like, this is a job for you in the community. And even right. though it's like a destructive thing to other parts of the community. Do you want to, um, okay, so it gets even worse. It gets even worse. This, this, our Shambolt family are really, really sinister in who that they're connected with. So, um, I talked briefly about the um, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, right? The Bureau of Indian Affairs is a federal agency that's right under. It's it's a subset of the Department of Interior, right? Mm-hmm. Which is uh, run by the Secretary of Interior, which is a cabinet position of the White House, right? Well, um, the Bureau of Indian Affairs deals with you know, native issues all around the country, but also um, the Bureau of Indian Affairs is the uh, law enforcement agency that police all the reservations. So the tribal police are BIA officers, Bureau of Indian Affairs, right? So that's the department that all those police are from. And uh, so they're federal agents. All of these tribes, the police there are all federal agents. They're not state law enforcement. They're federal agents, right? The only... um, like if there if something happens on a reservation where there needs to be like an internal investigation, it has to be the FBI or a, a higher up agency because they don't answer to, you know, uh, state law enforcement. They're a federal agency. So, the Bureau of Indian Affairs um, was originally uh, part. Uh, it was founded in let me think here, uh, 1825, 
as part of the Department of War, which was, it was the division of the United States government that focused on slaughtering and genocide Native people. Sure. When you think about 1825, what was going on? You yeah. know, like, uh, like that was before... Um, uh, wounded Waging knee massacre. war on uh, natives and electrocuting women. Right. So it was originally called the Department of War, and then they changed the name to the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Uh, I can't remember what year. Um, but that's like the history. So this whole agency is designed to make the U.S. government look like it's a friend to native people. That's like they're sort of the liaison between the native people and the U.S. government. But in actuality, they work for the U.S. government. They're a federal agency right underneath the Department of Interior. Hello, fellow indigenous kids. Right. It's a, like a narc. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so um, and the real fucked up thing is that it's often indigenous people that are in the Bureau of Indian Affairs uh, in the department. So they they essentially um, get their own to turn against their own, you know? Yeah. And so the reason why I'm getting really into the, the Bureau of Indian Affairs is, um, like I said, that was... Um, so at, at first, they, they up until December 4th, they kept up the illusion that the tribe was on the side of the water protectors, right? The, the, um, that the government, the tribal government, the, the, tr the tribal chairman were on the side of the government. So, I mean, we're on the side of the water protectors, right? So it was basically the water protectors versus, um, you know, Morton County, uh, North Dakota state troopers, um, the FBI, the private security, Tiger Swan, and the pipeline company. But after December 4th, something changed where now the tribal police in Standing Rock, the ones that police that community, the local tribal Bureau of Indian Affairs officers, were now lined up right alongside Morton County and the state of North Dakota law enforcement, you know, shooting rubber bullets and attacking people. There's video of them hitting a woman from behind with a club and arresting her. Like, so does they the were, veil kind of fall after that? Um, but the thing is, is uh, it does... But when the um, the president said that the pipeline permit was denied on December 4th, everybody stopped paying attention. Yeah, I remember I did. Everybody. <laughs> everybody stopped paying attention. Everyone, and, and I can get into wh exactly why that happened uh, in a minute, too. Because um, basically, uh, in short, the head of all of the Standing Rock media was, it was very controlled. And there was one organization that was in charge of like the official media for the Standing Rock movement. And it was this group called the Indigenous Environmental Network, which is run um, by these guys, Dallas and Tom Goldtooth. And they're Dave Arshamble's cousins. Okay. Yeah, tribal chairman's cousins. I'm sorry to put it together now. Yeah. So the thing is, is the reason I was talking about the BIA and the Department of Interior is there's one really important person I need to bring up. There's this woman by the name of Nedra Darling, right? That's her name. She is the public relations director for the entire Department of Interior. So, you know, um, what's that woman that Michelle Wolf made fun of? Uh, Sarah uh, Huckabee Sanders. Yeah, you know how Sarah Huckabee Sanders is to Donald Trump? Yeah. She is to you. Ryan Zinke, who's the Secretary of Interior, right? Uh -huh. That's Trump's cabinet appointment. Ryan Zwinky. Ryan Zwinky, uh, whatever. Yeah, from uh, Montana. I was kidding. Zwinkies are from MySpace. I see. Ryan Zinke. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. the. Um, that's the Secretary of Interior yeah. currently. But the thing is about Nedra Darling is she has been the public relations director for the Department of Interior for the last three presidencies. So 
she she kept her job under Donald Trump. She was also the same position through all of Barack Obama's presidency and George Bush's presidency. Oh wow. Yeah. Um and in fact, in 1999, when she was working um, for the George Bush administration, she's the one that organized the 175-year anniversary of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which if you're celebrating 175 years of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, you're celebrating the Department of War dating right. back to 1824. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's funny. She's also under Donald Trump, just to give you some context of how important this woman is, is you heard about when Donald Trump... Um, was supposed to meet with these like World War II Navajo code talker veterans. And so he had this meeting and no, you'll remember this because he meets these native like war heroes or whatever. And he makes a joke about Elizabeth Warren being Pocahontas. Now I remember. (laughs) Yeah. So when he called Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas, Nedra Darling was the person that organized that event. And the purpose of that was, okay, Donald Trump's base are right-wing bootlickers. How can we make him sympathetic to Native people? Oh, let's bring in some Navajo code talkers that were World War II veterans. This should be a slam dunk for Donald Trump. He comes and shakes the hands with some, but then his big fucking mouth. So she did this (laughs) to create, and she also did the same thing in the Obama administration. There was this big ordeal where Michelle Obama was like gifted this purple shawl, this like Native shawl. It was Nedra Darling that put the fucking shawl on her. Yeah, okay. Right? Every single press release, every single anything that has come out involving the Bureau of Indian Affairs and mostly almost all of the Department of Interior, Nedra Darling's name is on the press release. She's the one that's saying it. She's the one that made the statement. So um, if you go back into the month of February when they started to close the camps, right, that's when they called for the final eviction for everybody to get out of Standing Rock. Like I said, where the tribal police were the ones that came in and raided the camp. Nedra Darling is the one that's quoted and like she's quoted in Vice, she's quoted in every every, you know, media outlet. She's the one that was speaking on behalf of the Department of Interior and the Bureau of Indian Affairs, telling everyone like like speaking on behalf of the US government saying to get the fuck out of the out of the land. You're now trespassing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Nedra Darling is very good friends with Jody Gillette Archambault, the tribal chairman's sister. <laughs> They used to work together at the Bureau of Indian Affairs because before Jody Gillette worked for the Obama White House, she worked for the Bureau of Indian Affairs. That's like if you're in like high level government and you're involved in native issues, you're going to be in the Bureau of Indian Affairs or the Department of Interior. Like that's that's where your focus is going to be. But they weren't just friends. Um, in 2013, um, they had offices in, in, in Washington, D.C. at the Bureau of Indian Affairs in the same building on the same floor the office next to each other wow the office next to each other and this is available like i have all this research like this is on like the department of interior's websites on their directory like you can look it up it's the same building same floor one number different the room right next door and so it's not a fucking coincidence that this woman, Jody Gillette Archambault, her brother was the tribal chairman in Standing Rock, and she had a position created for her in the Obama administration, and she's good friends with the official spokesperson for the entire Department of Interior. They're they're party line Democrats, like they're they're you know what I'm saying? They're like yeah, yeah, they're yeah. they're they're part of the U.S. government. So you can't be the leaders in a movement that is anti-U.S. government, anti-capitalism, anti this whole fucking system. It's it's. It's anti-colonialism, right? You can't be a part, you can't be a high-level, like, colluder in the U.S. government and be 
anti like be standing up at Sandy Rock and being the leader of the camps. Yeah, no, that's how I, I'm starting to see how this is the the neoliberal you know thing and is so, happening here because it's it's like we're 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 woke you know even though we're on behalf of this colonialist government that's right trying to lay down and this so the thing is shit. this is where I talked about the GoFundMe money so. The um the Standing Rock tribe raised seven point eight million dollars in GoFundMe money, right? But that went to the tribal government, right. which the tribal chairman was in charge of. And the first thing that they did was they used over two million dollars of it to pay off a debt to the IRS. So over two million dollars of that donation money that was sent to the water protectors that were getting attacked and freezing to death yeah. not to death but like we're freezing went to go back to the u.s government that we were there standing up against right and then right, it gets right. it gets even worse this guy david Arshamble, the tribal chairman he's not just the tribal chairman he also owns a business in standing rock he owns a fucking gas station he owns a gas, gas station, station, which he remodeled while I was there. He remodeled his gas station, <laughs> he got a the new Cannonball Pit Stop, and shit. Like he's selling, he's in the oil business. Yeah, yeah like that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like he's in the oil business. He ran on a pro oil platform. His sister worked for the White House. Like, and it gets even worse is that um, um, when they closed the camps um in February 2017. They hired a this group called the Thunder Valley Community Development Corporation to come in and clean up the camps. They're the ones that got the, the contract to come in and, and do the cleanups. Well, Thunder Valley is this organization in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, which is like where Wounded Knee is and, uh -huh. and stuff. It's like, you know, just south of where Standing Rock is. And it's actually where the tribal chairman, Dave Arshamble, comes from. And... Uh, so they have this thing called Sundance, like like sun dancing. It's like their like sacred ceremony, and so all of it's these their film festival kind of yeah no, but like so they <laughs> all no Sorry you're good no you're fine they they all um so Thunder Valley is uh is where they all sun danced. Uh -huh. So the tribal chairman Dave Arshamble he sun dances at Thunder Valley. Um, Dallas and Tom Goldtooth who are the ones that ran all the media and are Dave's cousin they sun dance at Thunder Valley mm -hmm. right. And this is where it gets really fucked up. Is so Thunder Valley are the ones that came in and did this uh, cleanup, right? And they're considered a community development corporation, which is sort of like a fancy government nonprofit, right? And they have received millions of dollars in federal grants in the last five years that were all signed off by Nedra Darling, <laughs> just to bring it all together. Right. But this is where it gets really fucked up. Is so. This is where it gets fucked up. This is, yeah, I mean, it's all. <laughs> I keep saying that because it's all fucked up. <laughs> it keeps but getting in, worse in, and worse. In, in Thunder Valley, something interesting happened. Is so they do these sun dances, right? Which is like a sacred, you know, I guess religious, you could say, ceremony, right? And so they have like uh, spiritual leaders, and there is this guy who is their spiritual leader by the name of Jerome LeBeau. And this guy at Thunder Valley, Jerome LeBeau, he was using his sacred peace pipe to, like, smoke pot and cocaine out of this pipe, like, during <laughs> ceremony. Yeah. Oh and God. then it, 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 he he was getting kids to, like, like young youth to, like, shake gourd rattles and, like, flicker the light switches to make it seem like he was, like, in touch with the spirits and the ancestors. Well, he was getting wet. He was trying yeah. to get <laughs> So he's a fraudulent medicine man, right? He's a fraudulent yeah. spiritual leader, which, which happens. But... There was this kid. There was this kid. There was this kid by the name of Todd Littlebull. 
Mm-hmm. Todd Littlebow was a youth that was involved with Thunder Valley and like looked up to this guy, Jerome LeBeau, who was their spiritual leader, which is the same place like these fraudulent um, Sundances I'm telling you about is the same place that the tribal chairman and his family come to Sundance. Like they're all a part of it. Well, this kid, Todd Littlebow, he got sick of all this corruption and all the lies, right? And he started talking about it. He started telling people that Thunder Valley's corrupt, Jerome LeBeau's a fraud, like they're, you know, they're, they're embezzling money or, or whatever he was saying. He was exposing all their secrets. And uh, he was found shot dead on his 26th birthday in the middle of the street, shot in the head and the chest on August 2nd, 2016. This was during the Standing Rock movement, but this was in, in South Dakota at Thunder Valley. And the, like, the last things, like this kid, he was murdered on his birthday, right, for talking about Thunder Valley. This indeed is when it gets fucked up. Yeah, and so the last things that Todd Littlebull posted on his Facebook were warnings that he was getting threats from Thunder Valley, Holy right? shit. Yet, Thunder Valley is the organization that was hired to come in and do the cleanup at Standing Rock. They're also the organization that the tribal chairman Sundance is at. It's also the organization that Dallas and Tom Goldtooth, who run the media department, uh-huh. like all Sundance at. And they all come from this one place, Thunder Valley. That's also been bringing in millions of dollars in federal grant money that have been signed off by Nedra Darling of the Department of Interior. And the thing is about these millions of dollars... You have to understand where Thunder Valley is. So Thunder Valley is on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota, which has the highest crime rates, poverty rates, addiction rates, suicide rates uh, of anywhere in the country. It's Pine Ridge is where Wounded Knee is. Mm -hmm. So first the Wounded Knee Massacre was there in, I'm not sure the exact year, late 1800s, right? But then that's also where the Wounded Knee Occupation with like the American Indian movement standing up against the U.S. government in the 70s, right, it right, all right, happened right. there. So this is like this is the poorest community in not just in native country, but the poorest community in this country. Then you've got this group of corrupt motherfuckers that will murder a kid to protect their own interests, bringing in millions of dollars, using the poverty and the suffering of their own people to bring in all this money to their organization, and they're not actually doing anything with it. It's all going back to these same people. Then they did the same thing in Standing Rock. They, every time that somebody got hurt, more money came in. Every bad thing that happened, more money came in. And it all went to the same people. So there's like a handful of a couple dozen people that got all the money, all the attention, and, and political power too. So like because of all this, all of those, all the people involved have been able to start launching like further. Like they put this on their resume like they were the leaders of this resistance. Right. When in fact they weren't. They were the ones that were working with the U.S. government to keep it under control, but not before they profited off of it. I feel like people are starting to wise up that this is usually the case when it comes to like large charities yeah. and things like that. But it's also inherently a problem in just like neoliberalism because the, so. the, cons- the solution for any like sort of centrist, democratic, neoliberal person for any problem is, oh, we're going to raise money and throw it at this thing. And it always gets shaken out like this, you know, like Susan G. Komen or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, the Red Cross, you know. Yeah, and so yeah, and so you know, people always joke about receiving funds from George Soros, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, that group, Thank the, you, Indi- George. the Indigenous Environmental Network, which is like the media group I was telling you about, run by Tom and Dallas Goldtooth, 
Um, they receive six figures and funds from the Tides Foundation, and it's on the Tides Foundation website, which is George Soros's foundation. So they, in fact, do receive funding from George Soros. Wait, but who received it? Um, the uh, Indigenous Environmental Network, which is, um, you know, I told you that um, the chairman's cousins uh-huh. run the media. They're, um, the Tom and Dallas Goldtooth is their names. They get funding from George Soros. Okay. And it's the same family. I see how this is ironic because it's not. Well, because here's the you thing. You and me, it's right. the people that are not It's good them. They the get story. it up at the top, right? Yeah. They get, you know, six figures, right? And so this group, Indigenous Environmental Network, IEN, um, they're easy to remember because their names are fucking Dallas Goldtooth. Yeah. Like, the guy sounds like a fucking Bond villain, and he yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, that rules. Uh, <laughs> like, he's the biggest piece of shit sure out he sucks. there. He's, I want to I kill him and steal his name. Yeah, he is... He was the guy that was doing live streams all the time, and he actually claims to be a comedian because yeah. he used to make like comedy sketch videos with his all buddies. All of these fucking psychos sort of did comedy at one point, and then clearly it didn't and, work, and they still. And had so the ego they have this on. system where it's all compartmentalized, where there's all these different groups that are all part of the same group that each do a different facet of it. You know, yeah. like there's the tribal chairman and his sister who are he- heavily involved in the United States government. Then there's the gold tooth family that are sort of the media and the face of it. And they're also the ones that lead all the protests. Like they were the leaders of the People's Climate March in Washington, D.C., which was paid for by Soros. And like <laughs> they, they get all of this money to be the face and the leader of it. They're the ones that meet with Leonardo DiCaprio and Mark Ruffalo. They're the ones that have all the access to the money and the celebrities while the tribal chairman and and his family are getting high up involved with the government and then it even um connects into the united nations too because um they're all tied in uh through like some of the same people that all work together they have their buddies that have been doing stuff at the united nations level for for uh decades and i haven't talked about this yet but i'll I'll tell you here is there's um uh so at the United Nations, there's this thing called the Permanent Forum on Indigenous Issues, which is a uh, a forum that they have once a year, every year. They've had it for 17 years that focuses on Native issues, Indigenous issues from all over the, the world, right? And um, at the United Nations, they have this thing called the UN Experts, right, which is what are people that are paid employees, like... They're the experts. They work for the United Nations. Everybody yeah. else that's at the UN, they don't work for the UN. They're like petitioning to the UN. Right. Okay. Right? right. But these experts work for the United Nations. And one in particular is this guy, um, Roberto Barrero, right? He was one of the experts that they sent to Standing Rock to evaluate evaluate the human rights violations that were going on. And they did nothing, right? Just like Obama did nothing. They showed up and did nothing. Well, this guy, Roberto Barrero, is also really good friends with the Goldtooth family, dating back for a decade. And he's the person that brought the tribal chairman to the United Nations to speak on behalf of the Standing Rock movement. Uh, so he's the gatekeeper once there. Once you understand that, this, the, 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 that he's not the, the – the, well, I'm sorry, what's his position title? The, the tribal chairman. The tribal chairman isn't – speaking on behalf of his people but rather but people on don't of the realize that but that makes this whole story make so much more sense yeah because like you assume oh yeah he like and and when i got there like there was some rumors circulating that maybe the tribal chairman wasn't on our side but i was sure as fuck wasn't gonna say it like right. i'm a white guy right. coming in it's not my place like all this shit i just told you like i've been told that i shouldn't talk about because oh it's not your place but they also weaponize that against us they know that white people 
um, have so much white guilt that we're not going to criticize any native person. We're just going to be like, oh, the poor natives, like, and not actually look and see that not every um, not every indigenous person is helping their indigenous people. Yeah, and it's a pretty brilliant move coming from the you know the mobbed up guys. Yeah. Down there. They know they know that we're not going to look any further than that, and we're and and because we're told that we're being a bad ally if we do. Right. Meanwhile, they're robbing their people blind. Man, that shit gets weaponized like so bad <laughs> in like every direction. And it's just like it's just neoliberal as fuck. And then this gets this is the thing that really drives me crazy is I think it was like two weeks ago, there was this article that came out because the Democratic Party was having Jody Gillette Archambault speak at an event. Like that's the the chairman's uh, sister, right? And they were uh, uh, painting it as she was this big controversial figure for the Democratic Party to bring in and speak. Oh, I was like, how is she controversial? She worked in Obama's fucking yeah, White House. She's like one of your guys. She's she is one of you, but they're painting it like she was this controversial like hero to the movement, and it was like really edgy for them to like bring in this like native woman speaker, like native woman speaker, but like she's you know neoliberal as hell you know yeah. it's like i feel like you've talked about this a lot on on your show is that like um or just in general is that representation it, it takes more than just representation like just yeah. because a gr- like um an oppressed group has someone that looks like them doesn't mean that they're not also the oppressor well yeah so that my kind of thing on the that i'll talk ad nauseum to everyone i talk to politics about is that like not only is it not enough it's also it's often substituted for actual justice it's used as a way to go well you know what do you mean like listen it's, to you know the the, the the i keep forgetting the guy's office but uh the the, the tribal chairman oh yeah. well how could you argue with that you know yeah all yeah. right it, it dissuades you from any further action and like it even goes like even deeper than that which is like like not even deeper than that but that's like the main gist of it but there's even all these like other little anecdotal details that could go with it too like if you trace back um David Archambault, the tribal chairman, if you trace back his lineage, his like great 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 grandfather is the um the white man that brought the smallpox to the Mandan Hidatsa tribe. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, and this is like <laughs> documented in history. Like it's in like you could cross reference it from history like textbooks and also his own biography. Yeah. Because the thing is about a lot of these like neoliberal fucks is they love to brag about everything that they've ever done as if it's a good thing, but if sure. you actually know the meaning of what it is, they've created a cookie crumb trail of all their corruption. And all the the paradigm shifts over every generation of what's right and wrong. So if someone bragging about something they did, you know, 100 years ago is like well, I do declare I did indeed bring chicken pox. It yeah, was, but he doesn't you know, talk <laughs> about the smallpox party. He just says, this is my grandfather and their great-grandfather, but then you could look it up, yeah. and it's like, no, Jacob Halsey is your great-great-grandfather. Your great-grandmother was Lillian Halsey, and Jacob Halsey's the one who brought the smallpox there, you know? Yeah. And it's just like... Ev- uh, yeah, it's just so fucked up in so many levels, and... um. I've already told you a lot, and this has gone on really long. We're at about an hour. So oh, we're only about an hour. Okay, we're at I mean about that's an hour. An hour. That's good. Um, um, let me let me pause real quick just so we can make note of where we're at. Um, one other thing, I just like I have to stop myself real quick and make something like kind of explicitly clear is most of the people that I've talked about are actual like our indigenous people that are corrupt within the movement. But the thing is, is it's that's not where the whole that's not the root of the problem 
you know, and I need to be like clear about that. The root of the problem is this oppressive colonial system that sure. made it happen. Like they're all they're all acting on behalf of the white man government. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, they're yeah, all yeah. and and when you keep a community in poverty and genocide for over five centuries, like and you dangle, like I said earlier, you dangle a little carrot, like certain people are going to throw sell out their whole they're all their people for that carrot because they're just like if we're all getting like if if we're all living like this at least me and my family will be better but it doesn't make it right it doesn't justify this level of corruption but i understand where it comes from and it's not it's not that it, it comes from a place where um the systems that have been put in place by force for centuries are fucked up you know it comes down from from the top where like Sure, these people are all doing fucked up things, but they're all doing it on behalf of the United States government, who is the main the main source of evil here. I need yeah, to be the, very clear the on wrong that. Wrong take would to be to look at this under a small scope and just go, "Well, fuck these people, right?" These people because the the thing is, is that like I said, over a hundred thousand people stepped foot on that land in Standing Rock during the the ten months that there was a camp there. And of those 100,000 people that were there, maybe 100 of them are corrupt. They just happen to be that 1%. So I call them 1% water protectors. Just like there's 1% mm -hmm. within, you know, all, all society, there's a 1% within these movements, too, that control all the power. And um, uh, one other thing that I did want to mention is that, uh, so um, have you ever heard of this person named Red Fawn? No. Okay, so Red Fawn. I've heard of Red Fox, though. Yeah, Red Fox, yeah. <laughs> Red Fawn is much different than Red Fox. Red Fawn is a current... Pretty close translation, if you think about it. Yeah, it is. <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. Red Fawn is, like, the most well-known political prisoner from the Standing Rock movement. She essentially was, like, sort of framed and set up. They said that she tried to pull a cop's gun from them when she was, like, tackled to the ground. And it's been, like, Free Red Fawn is, like, one of the biggest, like, you know, hashtags, campaigns is, okay. is like to free um, this this political prisoner who's been wrongly, you know, jailed um, and still is. Uh, but the thing is, uh, is something really, really fucked up happened with Red Fawn is The Intercept also is the one that um, released this scoop, but Red Fawn's boyfriend was a man named Heath Harmon, and it came out during her trials, uh, during the, her court cases, uh, that he was an FBI informant. Whoa. Like this isn't just a rumor. This is a confirmed he out he's out as an FBI agent. The name like Heath Harmon. Heath Harmon. And so he worked for the FBI and was like undercover as her boyfriend. Yeah. For God knows how long before all this. So this is this is the level that the United States government and energy transfer partners, CEO Kelsey Warren. And the Dakota Access Pipeline, as well as local and federal law enforcement, went to protect the interest of a corporation over people. Like, emotional warfare. That's what that is. That's fucking emotional warfare. You send someone in as a fucking FBI agent, as a spy, to pretend to be someone's boyfriend? I'm, I'm shocked. I can't believe our benevolent government would do I such know. a thing. I know. It's just so fucked up. Um... And, uh, yeah, and it, so it's, like, all of these different departments, like, were involved with this. And um, I know that you recently uh, had a run-in with the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, and Indeed. so I'm very familiar with the Department of Homeland Security as well. Um, 
because they were like, if you go back through those intercept leak documents about Tiger Swan, they were the ones that were in, you know, in, involved with this whole this whole mess. Like, depart, like, because we were considered, like I said, um, religious extremists on the level of radical jihadists, mm-hmm. which is racist language in its own right. It's all yeah, it's like double double yeah, racist. Yeah, but they used the counterinsurgents manual against us. I see. Yeah, that's what they did, and so they had uh, spies that were coming in to get information as well as spread misinformation. They, um, you know, were using physical, chemical, emotional, and psychological and technological warfare against us, <laughs> all paid for by the United States government. You know, yeah. and this oil company, which is there's no different between these corporations and the oil company. You know, a company the size of Energy Transfer Partners might as well be a government branch. Right. You know? Yeah. Like. I mean. <laughs> When they're building pipelines all over the country, you know, and, um, you know, when when I, I saw you posting all about um, Department of Homeland Security, like raiding your apartment and like uh, they came and like talked to you. My only thought was like jealousy. I was like, who books that? <laughs> who books that? Because <laughs> I'm like, that was like I was like, that's how I always pictured my career was going to end up. It's like I'm just getting raided by federal agencies. As you know? a comedian, I feel like so many people like, there's part of it. where I'm like, this is pretty cool. Like, I'm not going to deny that there's an element of it that's like, wow, <laughs> it's quite a story, you know? Yeah. For um, sure, but also like it's it's real, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's both. I mean, mm-hmm. it can be both. I would feel I just would feel like a um uh, a bit of a phony, you know, if I was to uh, to try to play it up like you know I'm so freaked out and not capitalizing this on this at all. What are you kidding me? I'm a fucking I got a small uh you know small potatoes artist. I got I got seats to fill, <laughs> right. tickets to sell. I might as well if it happens. Did you get like a thirty percent increase in Twitter followers? Or? Uh yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, what am I gonna do? Not do That's that. That's why I said, who books that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, fuck. I need to talk about. Uh, maybe I should just change all my angry posts about like that involves Standing Rock instead of saying like, you know, fuck the Bureau of Indian Affairs agents. I should say kill the BIA because that's like it worked for you, right? You use the K word and you're like, and you get that. <laughs> I'm sure nothing could go wrong <laughs> if we were to continue down this path. Yeah, no. let's maybe not go there. <laughs> I just wanted to tie it back that, like, yeah. so when you were talking about, you know, all the stuff with the Department of Homeland Security, like, I super relate. Yeah, for sure. Uh, even though ICE hasn't been, like, something I've been super, like, involved with, I think that they're, like... Because uh, you can't deport indigenous people. Well, yeah, I mean, they sure try to, though. Yeah. Because, like, like dude, the thing is, is um, Mexicans are indigenous people. <laughs> like, they were colonized by the Spanish, like... Christopher Columbus was sent to South America first by the Queen of Spain also, and the Pope in Italy to enforce Christianity in the Spanish language. The reason that Mexico and South and Central America speak Spanish is because they were colonized by the fucking Spanish white people from Europe and Spain. Not to mention a large portion so, of this country was Mexico. Right. It is all... This is indigenous land. Mexico is indigenous land. That's an imaginary fucking line put on a map. Yeah. Like... Uh, I have a friend that says that, you know, one of the greatest uh, weapons that the like the U.S. government or just all these the colonizers use is black ink on white paper, which is like documents like they create these stupid uh-huh. fucking documents, but also maps. That's what it is. They draw an imaginary line on a fucking map. God hates but, flags. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> God hates flags. <laughs> I saw that written on a bathroom stall door one uh, time. I was like, that's I guess, that's very clever. I see where you're going with that. But yeah. So like the immigration issue 
does tie into um, like indigenous issues too because it. Well, it's all it's all because they're indigenous white people. Supremacy. And the thing is, is there's so many people that um, uh, even in like Mexico that identify as like Mexican or or, or Latin or Hispanic, uh-huh. and they don't even realize or that they are indigenous people. Like, cause they, the, it was made illegal to speak their native languages and celebrate their right, native cultures right, right, right. so much so that like Me- Mexico is more colonized than the United States in that way, because they identify, like they identify with their oppressor and then they come up here and then they're oppressed for identifying with their oppressor because yeah, it's yeah, the it's wrong a oppressor. Double thing. Yeah. Yeah. I fall, so yeah. like if, if, if you're like um, an immigrant coming from Mexico to the United States, like the chances are is you're being punished because you um, adopted the culture of your previous oppressor, not your current oppressor. Like, in a way, like you just get, you get fucked either way because like Spanish isn't their native language anyways. Like it's most like indigenous people, like Spanish comes from Europe, like the language. So it's, right. it's so fucked to me. Like what's going on with, with all of that, like the immigration stuff and the ice stuff, because it, 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 we're so far away from getting to the actual truth that we're dealing with an issue that's like built on layers and layers of lies. Yeah, you know, I and it's you. like a like a like a Super Bowl dip. Yeah, of lies. It's a seven layer dip. You know? <laughs> um, I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not going to touch that one, but <laughs> there's, yeah, I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> but yeah, fuck ICE, fuck Department of Homeland Security, fuck the FBI. Fuck them all. Fuck the Bureau of Indian Affairs, fuck the Department of Interior, fuck, fuck the White House. Tiger Swan. Fuck Tiger Swan. Dallas Gold Fuck Dallas Gold Tooth. Fuck Dave Arshamble. Fuck Barack Jody Gillette Arshamble. What a bunch of crazy names. Fuck Barack Obama. <laughs> fuck Nandra Darling. Fuck Thunder Valley. Um... Yeah, fuck the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Um, Tiger Swan. I can't um, get over that name. Tiger Swan is so fucked up. Um, yeah, but then like just to 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 make some things a little bit lighter is the <laughs> is the funny thing about all this stuff is so I've been actively involved with this stuff for like two years and like I sort of got the rep as kind of like a truth teller in a way that like. I do really good research, a lot of people say, because I know how to use fucking Google and, like, can pull shit up. People don't realize that, like, they leave this breadcrumb trail of shit. But a lot of um, the people that are supportive of the movement are, like, you know, gyms. Or not even gyms, like, female gyms. You know, like, you know what I mean by that? By, like, middle-aged older people that don't really know the internet that well. And they also, like fall hook line and sinker for a lot of like yeah you know truth or shit uh, yeah <laughs> so like i got some a great deal on some sunglasses right well not even that where it's like when they don't understand how basic functions of facebook work right. it's tiger swan tiger swan we've been da- we've been like if like any time that your like live feed is cut off or like someone can't hear like the audio because they they are like sitting on their fucking mute button on their like computer. Uh-huh. They're like, oh, it's the, the we've been hacked by the Dakota Access <laughs> pipeline and we've been tiger swanned. And it's it's like it's actually kind of hard to separate it because so many people just like assume that their own technical like inabilities is them being like, you know, well, we're being technologically hacked, you know, and it's like hard it, to draw the line. But some people it's kind of funny. Well, then maybe there, there is something really, uh, you know, beneficial to uh you know a social media savvy person like a comedian falling ass backwards into the situation and being able to uh offer you know those skills we've had to develop through 
booking bar shows and (laughs) shit and trying to figure out who's mad at us and you know whatever uh stalking other people on you know social media and trying to figure out if they um you know all all those petty stuff that's unpolitical you know (laughs) right right all this uh shit that we've we've sort of developed is now in a second part of our lives more politically like a tool you know right so that's pretty cool, I think. Yeah, and it, and it's sort of been interesting trying to blend those two things, like being a comedian and like an activist. Because I'm not just like, not to like toot my own horn. I'm not just like you know uh, surface level like neolib activist. Like I get dirty and deep into this shit, as you could tell from I'm the last hour. I'm terrified of how deep into it you are, man. Yeah, and it's like, and that's only <laughs> one of the things I've like been into. It's like you know I was in Flint, Michigan for a while. I could do another hour about what's going on in Flint. I was in Houston, Texas after Hurricane Harvey hit, yeah. like gutting people's homes and shit. Yeah, like, that's where I'm from, man. And yeah, oh yeah, that's right. You were there when I was, or you were in like we were in Texas at the same time briefly because yeah. you did a benefit show. That I helped organize, but I wasn't there for. Yes. Yeah. It went off great. Yeah, that's what I heard. Um, but yeah, so like, uh, I sort of have these like two different fan, like audience bases, kind of where it's like I have people that expect me to be funny, and then people expect me to be like hard hitting, like truth teller. You don't have to tell and, me, now. you know. <laughs> and but I have a lot of I'm like always alienating one half of those people on Twitter. So um, most of my own family, like. Uh, you know, it, that's complicated. You know, they don't aren't necessarily like, you know, I'm not that close with most of my family, but I have like hundreds and hundreds of like aunts and grandmas that aren't my aunt or grandma that like follow me on Facebook. Yeah. So like on the, the times when I actually am able to muster up a joke, they always show concern. <laughs> like because they like take it like literal. Like yeah, I can't yeah, joke yeah. about like being poor or depressed right, 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 without right. like having like 10 grandmothers that I've never met, like it's super sweet and I, and I'm very appreciative of it, but it's just kind of funny. Yeah. I had you know? block my whole family cause of that. Cause I yeah. just couldn't be explaining jokes every single time I made them, you know? And you know, I, I, the explaining jokes to family was hard enough, but then like trying to explain like deep level politics to like <laughs> my parents that like a family that just don't even care yeah, know, like about yeah, politics, yeah, yeah. you know, like, but that's a whole nother story, but. But I think we've gone on here long enough, huh? I think uh, we came to just right uh, about a uh, good podcast episode length, so we should uh, wrap it up. But, man, that is a uh, – you know, I started off this kind of with the attitude of, like, this is a wild story, like, because it's just so kind of alien to me. But now that I kind of think I understand a little bit more of what we were talking about, I think it's an important story. Yeah. Um, and it's really cool. I'm glad you were able to get the word out. And, uh, you yeah, know, thanks hopefully for having if en- me enough on. people, like, look into this sort of thing – then yeah. uh, we won't all just be dicking around on Facebook checking into Standing Rock next time. Right, or just, like, or sending your money blindly, too. Is like, don't support like don't support large organizations. Find, like, an individual that's actually doing the work. That's what I suggest to everyone when they're like, who should I donate to? Even when I was in Flint or in Houston, it was like, don't send money to a large organization. Like, if you go online and they have hundreds of thousands of followers on Facebook, like there's somewhere better that you could send your money to. Like if you're going to make a donation, like do a little bit of groundwork and find an individual or like someone that's really grassroots that you could see is doing the work and send and, and, and support them, you know? Yeah. Great. That's the best way I could put it. Um, cool. Well, um, uh, thanks for doing the show. Yeah. Can I, uh, plug a couple things? Please do it. So I was about uh, to get to it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, uh, let me think. Okay, uh, Twitter. Follow me on Twitter is the best way, at Mike Gams, M-I-K-E-G-A-M-M-S. It's because I got nice legs, and also <laughs> that's my last name. Um, 
And I don't really have any of my own properties at the moment. I don't have a podcast. I don't have any uh, confirmed shows <laughs> coming up at the moment. Um, but this is kind of a plug, too, as I'll say, is when I went to Standing Rock, um, the way that I was able to get my Standing Rock media pass is because I'm a frequent guest on Maddox's podcast. <laughs> you know, the guy Maddox from the yeah. best page in the universe. I remember. Yeah. I think we all do. So, yeah, exactly. So uh, I want to plug his podcast, The Best Debate in the Universe, because I'm a frequent guest on there. And the only reason I was able to get a media pass is because I was officially representing Madcast Media, which is his podcast network. Right. That I'm sort of... Just like you say that you're in the Cumtown extended universe, yeah, I yeah, say yeah. I'm in the Madcast Media yeah. extended universe. That's sort of like my uh, home base. And uh, yeah, like I said, it, like weirdly enough, Maddox is the reason I got a media badge at Standing Rock. Like, what a wild world! We what live a in. wild world! So <laughs> I just wanted to plug that, and then follow me on Twitter at uh, Mike Gams, and you know, uh, make sure you subscribe to Pod Damn America. I will say. <laughs> Let the record know I'm also a Patreon subscriber to Poddam America because I do enjoy this program and what you guys are doing here, and I suggest everybody else at home do the same. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. I yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for being a pod damsel. Yes, pod damsel. I may have coined that term, you too. You did. I did. Pod damsels. <laughs> I'm still not sure if I'm going to use it. That's I forgot. I'm glad that you did. mentioned it because I should have said that. Yeah. But, um, uh, but for anyone else listening, uh, you know. Uh, as always, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, if you like the show and you got money to throw around, uh, support us. Uh, you'll get behind our paywall and get the bonus episodes we do. Um, I should still be on tour while this is coming out. Um, so I don't really have anything to plug other than um, in the distant future. I think I think I might be working on something pretty cool that, uh, in terms of uh, uh, benefiting um, like Sesta uh, Fossa survivors. Uh, can't really do any details on it because it's in the nebulous future, but mm. I'm pretty excited about it. I think it should be actually pretty cool and pretty big if, if it's shaping up like it should be. So, um, yeah, you know, feral jokes. Um, At feral jokes. Support the podcast. All right, thanks, Mike. Yep, thank you. I'm planning to get raided by the CIA, C- <laughs> CIA just to one-up you. So. The CAI, like yeah. a, it's some talent organization? Yeah, yeah. All right, <laughs> I fucked that one up. <laughs> All right, I'm going gonna, gonna to get raided by the CAA. I'm going to get raided by CAA, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, they're just going to bust in the door with uh, demanding to see headshots. I'll never tell. I'll Different never kind show. of headshots than Homeland <laughs> <laughs> Security has. <laughs> yeah, I fucking hope so. Yeah. <laughs> All right, later.